What's up, everyone? This is episode 227 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, if Twitter is working, that is, I don't know. You know, what's going on there? I know it was a mess this past weekend, but I'm rooting for it because I do like a platform that doesn't entirely revolve around images. And like many of you, a lot of the tweets I read this past week revolved around the beginning of the free agency period. And look, I know you can go to listen to guys like Woj or Winhorst or somebody else try to analyze something like the Dame Lillard situation, the Harden situation, all this other stuff. So I'm not going to sit here and try and do that. But I've got to take a minute to talk about my Pacers because they've had a doozy of a week on top of draft week, which I talked about last week, which I was also really excited about. So first and foremost, they did what they had to do and they extended Tyrese Halliburton to a max contract. I didn't even flinch at the slightest bit on that one because he's our franchise star. He makes everyone around him better. He's got a good head on his shoulders and he deserves it, right? And it keeps him here for another six years. Pacers then also signed Bruce Brown for two years and $45 million. Now, that one, I was a little shocked at the dollar amount. Uh, I knew a team would have to pay up to get him. I didn't expect it to be that much, but I felt a lot better about it once all the facts were laid out. And, And the big thing was, is the second year is a team option. So it gets the Pacers where they need to be cap wise. I really can't complain about that. And then finally, on top of all that, they traded two second-round picks to the Knicks for Obi Toppin. And I know people have mixed feelings about him. I think everyone can agree he probably wasn't used right in New York, though. And the Pacers could use more depth at the forward position. He's a guy that's going to put on a show he's exciting to watch. I'm excited about watching that. And speaking of putting on a show, I've got one stat or one snippet that I want to read you guys that I think it came from an ESPN article, but it says, Toppin projects to be a strong fit in Indiana, which logged the most shots in transition of any team in the NBA last season per second spectrum. Toppin's 75.1 effective field goal percentage in transition over the last two seasons was the best in the league, with a minimum of 150 shots. Second and third on that list are his new teammates, Tyrese Halliburton and Bruce Brown. So translation, the Pacers are ready to run and I'm here for it. And I have not felt this kind of optimism about my team in quite a while now. And I know that's dangerous. So I probably need to stop there before I jinx anything. I could go on and on. You know, we've got all this excitement right now. And it's crazy to think this is just the off season. Now, as you guys know, when it comes to the hobby, There might be lulls, but there is no real off-season. The hobby is year-round. Products are being released. We've got the National coming up. Other shows are happening. There's always something going on. So my plan today, now that I've got all of that NBA stuff out of the way, my plan is to catch up on some of the hobby stuff and give some general thoughts. I'm going to talk about a breaking article that we got from ESPN, of all places. I've got a few pieces of mail I want to share And then in today's main segment, I want to talk a little about a conveniently timed Fanatics goof. Without going into too much detail just yet, 
Mrs. Wax Museum ended up with a really poor quality Pacers hoodie with a giant glue stain all over the front. And I'm going to talk about how I think that experience could be pretty telling for the future of the sports card industry as well. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, so first up, about a week and a half ago, ESPN published an article titled The Controversial Rise and Uncertain Future of Box Breaks. And in there, they talk a lot about latent sports cards, the origins of breaking, the gambling aspect of things, and so on. And, you know, it didn't quite end up where I thought it would, but overall, I thought it was a pretty good article. It was a lot more thorough than I expected. As you guys know, there's a pretty steep learning curve to the hobby, and talking about it on mainstream platforms can be tough. There was one thing, though, that I think this article and a lot of the ones that have come before it missed out on. And that's the idea that breaking, in a way, has now perpetuated the problem it was designed to solve. Earlier this week, as I was piecing out some of those thoughts on my Twitter, I was going to, you know, just tweet them all out. It felt like deja vu because I'm thinking, you know, I know I've talked about this before. And lo and behold, I have 70 episodes ago on episode 157. So instead of me sitting here and reciting all of that for you again, I'm just going to play you a clip because I think a lot of this is just as relevant today and it bears repeating. Before I even go into this, let's, you know, once again, revisit the basic premise behind group breaking. And that was to help people afford the few high-end products that were out of reach. This was a ways back. Um, And even then, there were plenty of people that were able to afford personal breaks. It it wasn't just group breakers that busted this stuff. Um, Over time, though, this kind of convinced or, you know, you could even say enabled the card companies to release more expensive high-end products. And really watered down ones at that. Because look at um, something like National Treasures and what it's become. It is the absolute definition of feast or famine. The feast, of course, being a few prestigious RPAs, and the famine being all the Vin Baker sticker autos that come out instead. And oftentimes they're, they feature the same pictures year to year. Um, but people could afford to take these hits for the time being because the buy-in was fractional, right? We're seeing, maybe we didn't call it that at the time, but that's what it was. We're seeing that phrase fractional being thrown around a lot. Um, and prices kept creeping up. And then, you know, that over time combined with some other factors like grading, which is a huge one, I know, but that got us to a point where people are clearing blasters off the shelves at Walmart and forcing people to buy into those fractionally because otherwise they're now priced out. Um, So all of that is to say, if you're newer to the hobby, group breaking probably seems like a great solution to this problem. Uh, But in the grand scheme of things, it's a problem that it helped create. Let me say that again. Group breaking has essentially perpetuated the problem it set out to solve. Um, And when I said that, I got a couple of other responses when I posted that story. One was someone saying that they thought sealed wax hoarders and investors were more to blame. Which, you know, I thought that was a valid point. But my counter to that is this. Who are they going to sell to when the value goes up? Because the individuals are already priced out. So if things go up even more and they become even more priced out, it would likely have to go to someone that can distribute that cost. Like a breaker. Um, And then speaking of distributing, someone else commented that it's the distributors that have screwed up pricing more than anyone. There's probably some truth to that, but once again, it's 
group breaking that's enabled that to happen. Now, you might be listening to this today and you enjoy group breaking. Um, do I fault people for group breaking? No. You know, it's your money, spend it how you want. And I've done some over the years as well. So I'm not saying necessarily that I'm anti-group breaking, but this is in response to somebody saying that, you know, these breakers are an absolute necessity in the hobby. I don't think so. You know, but yeah, at the end of the day, someone that's a group breaker themselves is probably going to say that. But in theory, these people could go away and we'd be just fine. In fact, it might even force distributors and card companies to straighten their act up as well. And the card companies would have to court collectors again and create products that actually have value and have significance. Listening to that last line now is kind of funny too because it goes hand in hand with today's main segment, which continues the thought that at some point, manufacturers are going to have to produce quality products. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Like I said, that's later on. Because next up, I want to run through some recent mail. And I say some because I don't go over every card I purchase on here. Uh, I would say I come a lot closer to that on my YouTube channel. I probably don't show everything on there either. But speaking of that channel, on one of this week's videos, someone left the following comment. They wrote, Bro, printing plates and sports kings. Sports kings, right? Printing plates and sports kings, you can do better. Well, wait until he sees the NBA Happy Meal toy video I've got coming. He'll really like that one. But um, the comment made me laugh a little because I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. So I've had a lot of time to refine this practice of buying what I like, which at this point doesn't seem all that difficult. But having read that comment, before I talk about two cards that I was very happy to receive this week, I want to remind everyone, if you're buying PC cards to get the approval of others, They're probably not PC cards. PC stands for personal collection. If you're buying what you think other people expect you to buy, you're removing the personalized aspect of that collection. I can't emphasize this enough. Collect what you like. Okay? So the first card I want to talk about that I got in this past week that I like is a set I mentioned either last week or the week before when I was talking about draft night cards It is a 2022-23 Recon Draft Night Auto of Kendall Brown, numbered to 10. So I looked it up. I guess that makes it the gold version, even though the card itself looks more green. I think the key to identifying those is to look at the color of the foil and not the card itself. Anyway, I like these because they have a little bit of continuity. They go all the way back to 2017 status. It's stickers that they sign on Draft Night. They, you know, for the most part, look pretty good in the cards. The 2017 ones looked hideous, but everything after that looked pretty good. And now I have every Pacers draft pick that has one, except for Edmund Sumner in 2017, which that shouldn't cost much when I eventually find one. And then Benedict Matherin from this newest release. And I was bidding on a Matherin this week and I ended up not getting it. So the search must go on. You know, maybe you'll hear about that in a future mail segment. The second card I want to talk about, I would say fits my PC, but I don't have many from this type of set. It is a 2022-23 Crown Royale Silhouettes Prime Patch of Adrian Dantley, also numbered to 10. This one definitely is the gold. It has the gold foil too, but this definitely is gold. Not debatable. And I already had a small Dantley patch in the collection, but this one 
in my opinion, is way better. So I was happy to upgrade. It's basically the entire inner piece of the number four, and it's a pretty big patch window. So I have to do a little more digging. So I don't want to say this definitively, but I did some quick research and I have a pretty good idea what jersey Panini bought to use for these Dantley silhouettes. I think I've got a match. I just want to do a few more things to, you know, just to double check, but that might be the subject of a future YouTube video. Now, for as good as Adrian Dantley was, he just doesn't get a lot of love. And I didn't put him in my top 75, but I think I might have mentioned his name for consideration. I mean, I, I never, you know, he was never going to be in my top 75, but I at least want him to be in the conversation, right? Because that shows us what status of player he was. So like I said, when I got this card in, I was pretty happy being able to upgrade my existing Dantley patch for a much, uh, much nicer one. And I thought it was a reasonable cost as well. So that's always a nice bonus. So be on the watch for that on my social media. I'll try and get that up for people uh, to see if I haven't put it there already. I know I put it on Twitter, not sure about Instagram. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Are you tired of spending hours listing cards for sale? The ComC Consignment Marketplace is the easiest place to sell cards online because they do a lot of the work for you. They identify, they scan, they list, they store, they insure, they package, they ship. I hate all of that stuff. So I just send them that stuff. It could be sports cards, trading cards, collectibles, and they take care of the rest. All I have to do is set the price. So same goes for you. Visit ComC.com today to start selling your cards. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my affiliate links, which eBay or Amazon. And using those links cost you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access these links, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store logo you want to shop at, shop as planned, so whatever you're going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www waxmuseumpodcast.com Hey everybody, Boston Steve here, the Northeast Correspondent, checking in from the city of a winning basketball team, and you are listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so I've gotten some good feedback from the Fanatics content I've had lately, and I actually have some more I want to cover today. You might remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about how they're working hard to change the narrative right now. And then last week I chatted with Evan about their new terms and conditions for sports card shops, which, by the way, are not all as bad as people are trying to tell you. At least in my opinion, they're not. I think Evan agreed with that as well. So I hope you can see that I am trying to look at both sides here. Now, these guys at Fanatics, that is Mahan and Ruben, they keep showing up in different places and they're doing their absolute best to spread the Fanatics gospel. No sooner had I finished chatting with Evan about the terms and conditions, and there was Michael Rubin chatting with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes on the All the Smoke podcast, where, not surprisingly, he talked more about the success of the memorabilia brand, and then also changing the overall fan experience. Those are some themes that, you know, we are hearing. And when it comes to cards, we've heard this time and time again. Not long after they gobbled up all the major licenses, 
Rubin called the whole experience brutal. They want to eliminate all the middlemen. But like I've said before, if they made all these changes to the process, and at the end of the day the product still sucks, well then it's all for nothing. And a lot of times when they talk about the experience they, that they want to create with cards, they point back to what they've already done on the merchandising and apparel side, where they now produce the majority of the apparel for all your favorite sports teams. If you go to the Fanatics website, read the fine print, you'll see that Fanatics, quote, designs, manufactures, and distributes all Nike-branded fan apparel sold at retail for the NFL and MLB, including all jersey categories, women's apparel, outerwear, and more. And then on top of that, I believe they'll, I read they'll take over a lot of the college stuff in 2024. Now, the NBA was not mentioned in that part on the website specifically, but rest assured, they're making a lot of that stuff as well. That's why when you see those god-awful ads for the NBA store uh, about 100 times a game during the playoffs or on League Pass, the commercials end by saying, NBAstore.com, a Fanatics experience. And I can assure you that wording was very intentional because they're really caught up on that whole experience thing. And a lot of you have already purchased this apparel because, you know, there just aren't a lot of options, which hmm, sounds like another industry and another company we've dealt with since 2009. But you bought this stuff because you had to. And along the way, I hope you paid close attention to the quality of said shirts, hoodies, and whatnot. Um, I was reading an athletic article about Ruben, and I happened to stumble into the comments section at the end, and because I don't subscribe to the website, it only showed me the top three. Well, I want to read those for you here real quick. The first one comes from someone named Michael M., and judging by the tone in the comment, I'm going to assume this is definitely not Michael Mahan, because it said, quote, really is a shame how fanatics monopolized pro sports apparel merchandise because the quality of their products is brutal. Now, that is a little bit ironic, and I don't think this person even, you know, maybe was a part of that sports card part of the article, but he's using the same word there, brutal, that Ruben used for the sports card experience. Now, the next comment from user Ray B was shortened to the point. It says, honoring a purveyor of trash merchandise is embarrassing. You know what, that, that's his opinion there. And then a little longer comment after that from Ryan B, who said, Fanatics quality has decreased rapidly over the years, and there's no doubt it's in part because of the lack of competition. A friend of mine had a sports apparel business on Amazon a few years back, and because he had more sales than Fanatics on there, Ruben made a call to someone high up and got his stuff removed from the site so he wouldn't have to compete with him anymore. Sorry, but I don't have any respect for someone who does business like Ruben does. And I hate how the athletic is glorifying him for being nothing more than a corporate raider and consolidator. Well, I certainly can't fact check all of that. That was a very unique situation. So take all of that with a grain of salt. I can, however, vouch for the poor quality of Fanatics branded apparel. I have tons of Pacers gear. I have tons of Colts gear. But something happened this past week and the timing of the whole thing just made me laugh because Mrs. Wax Museum, you see, and, and if you got a significant other, you, you probably, you know, you go through this same thing. Mrs. Wax Museum is always trying to steal my Pacers hoodies. You know, I don't even think she wants one of her own. I think she just wants something because it's mine. So I finally convinced her, 
hey, you know, get one for yourself. Get another, pick out another one you like, get it for yourself. So she goes on Fanatics because that's, you know, even if you go Pacer store, I mean, that's kind of where you usually end up. And she picked out this $65 hoodie. She liked the way it fit. She said it was comfortable, right? So, you know, happy wife, happy life. Um, so by all accounts, I thought it was a winner. And this was a little while ago. Well, we live in Florida, so she hasn't been able to wear it much. And she finally got around to washing this thing. And once she did, she brought it to me and said, look what happened to this hoodie the first time I washed it. You might have seen the picture I posted on social media, but it was like dirty looking in the shape of a square around the graphic. And some of the lettering was already worn down like it had been used a while. So um, I have a friend who works for Champion, or, or he used to work for Champion, I should say, in the late 80s and most of the 90s. And they did a lot of this pressed on stuff. And I asked him, I, you know, what is this dirty square? What's up with this? And he said that someone left some of the, I guess, some of the tack from the boards that they press the hoodies on, and it should have been clean with mineral spirits or whatever they use. He said, if he had done that, his boss would have, you know, thrown a fit because he saw it often. His boss threw a fit when people didn't clean their boards. So, you know, anyway, this hoodie, as it currently looks, is not something you would want to wear in public. So I asked Mrs. Wax Museum to bring it over to me. I peeked at the inside and there was the Fanatics logo prominently stamped on where you would normally find a tag. So I took a picture of it and tagged them on Twitter, where support reached out to me. Now, they were very easy to deal with. They were not combative. You know, I was nice to them, too. I wasn't trying to be rude. They're sending us a new hoodie. We got a partial refund, so I'll give them credit for that. It's probably going to show up to my door really quick, because that's something Ruben's big on. So that was nice. That was a good experience, right? In their mind, they've solved the problem. But, you know, I, I'm i looking at this. It doesn't change the fact that even if they've cleaned the boards before they press the graphics on, it's still a poor quality hoodie. Maybe this one just won't have a, a dirty square on it. And that's all I can think about when I hear them talk about how the business has never been marketed and they're going to change the experience. Fanatics does a lot of charitable work. In fact, they had a pretty big campaign this past week. I think they made hospital gowns during the pandemic. That stuff's nice, and they're definitely going to remind you about it, and I commend them for that. Like I said, you know, they're going to remind you as part of their marketing, as is the experience that they're trying to create. Meanwhile, at the same time, the product keeps going downhill, and you listen to Ruben on these podcasts. He says, yeah, we're flawed. One of our big things is I wish I could get the product to you sooner. You know, once again, you can deliver a shirt or a hoodie to my door the same day, the next minute, the next second, and it still won't matter if the quality sucks. It just means I get disappointed even sooner. So once again, when I see all of this, and then I think about how it's going to carry over to cards, I don't feel so great. Which, by the way, the athletic article I mentioned earlier had a quote from Ken Golden in it that made me laugh because he said this about fanatics. I expect them to do a tremendous job and deliver a superior product to collectors, but doing so at a price point, they feel they're getting a value. Um, So he said he's expecting a superior product. Uh, Similarly, I've seen another big name in the content world talk about how hardened collectors are worried, but he's thrilled about Fanatic's new approach. All I have to say about that is this. Pay very close attention to the people who have influence in our space and pay attention to see how they choose to use it. 
because they're the ones that are going to get called to show up on TV or the Dan Levitard show or all that kind of stuff. So in closing, you can form your own opinions on this, and I please do so. I encourage you to. Obviously, I've made it clear now that I don't like where this is going, and I hope to God I'm wrong, because if they do turn this thing around and put out a good product, that's what I want. And if I still have a platform at that point, I'll come on and I'll say it. Hey, I was wrong. I'm not the kind of guy that deletes a video because of a bad take I had. But as of right now, we have a pretty clear track record from this company that already tells us this probably isn't going to go the way that we want. All right, well, there you have it. I know not everyone's going to agree with me on everything there, but I hope I at least made you think a little bit. And if you have questions about anything I said, feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.